And I was uh, thinking of Psalm 28, verse 1. Excuse me for this uh, uh, digressing briefly from our theme, but it, of course it belongs to our theme, Christ. Having him, knowing him, hearing him. And uh, David, he felt that very intensely, that when God would cease to speak to him, that would be death. Death. Psalm 28, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, for if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. And that is the ultimate terror, to be separated from God, no more to hear his voice. That means going down to the pit, the pit of destruction. So how glad we are and how we rejoice that God has opened our ears. He is the God of Israel who opens the eyes of the blind and opens the ears of the deaf. Psalm 146 says this much. And he has opened our ears to hear the voice of Christ. Uh, you, you mentioned Georg Müller yesterday, didn't you? Um, and who was it? His daughter? Yes, she died very young. And not, not long before she died, she, she wrote a, a short, it's not a poem, just like a short rhyme. I have heard the voice of Jesus. Tell me not of aught beside. I have heard the voice of Jesus. All my soul is satisfied. Yes, hearing the voice of Jesus. That's what we desire. And we have prayed together. We prayed with uh, Joel that we would hear God speaking. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Yesterday we dealt with the humanity of Christ and to his humanity, his true humanity, belongs necessarily his sinlessness. If he be God, incarnate, by necessity he is as God is, holy, without sin, sinless, the sinlessness of the man, Jesus And uh, this morning we are going to stick to the Gospel of John. We're going to uh, uh, look into a, a text and uh, want to follow John as he, in John chapter 1, in the first 18 verses, gives us all this basic, necessary information about who Jesus of Nazareth truly was and is. So let's read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Then was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, or the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now in this uh, opening passage to the Gospel of John, he gives right at the beginning a startling truth. Everyone reading the Gospel, of course, knew that there had been a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who had uh, walked the roads of uh, Israel, taught and worked in the land and he says that man Jesus he was in the beginning he's the eternal one and that is really a startling a stunning truth to make that statement the man Jesus whom you all knew and who was then taken and led away and who was uh, Slain, first tortured and then slain by men, is the eternal one who was from the beginning. Now, John wrote his gospel in the 90s of the first century, that is, about three uh, decades after the first three gospels. And in the meantime, uh, from the year 30, or 33, or whatever, how you will count it, it's, well, 30 is what you usually say. From the year 30 on, the gospel had been preached, from the day of Pentecost on, had been preached, and, uh, church, uh, the, and ha it had been heard virtually in all of the Roman Empire, 
and churches had been planted around the whole Mediterranean and beyond. But at the same time, from the very beginning, we see already in, in, in Acts, first signs of it and announcements of it, that uh, the truth of the gospel, and especially the truth of the Savior, who is the theme of the gospel, was assailed, attacked, and false teachers crept into the churches. Uh, Paul announces this, that it will happen in his um, farewell speech to the elders of the church of Ephesus. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. There he says, in verses 28 and 29. Acts 20, 28 and 29. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves. Those are false teachers and evil men like Diotrephes, Diotrephes, of whom we read in, in the third epistle of John. Men of power, who seek power, who want to have power over men, who want to control men and people. Such people would creep in into the churches and false teachers and John was led, prompted by the Holy Spirit to, read his, to write his gospel 30 years after the first three gospels to um, confront those errors and to refute those errors as to the person of Christ. That is the main purpose of his whole gospel, to show that Christ is indeed God, true God, eternal, the eternal one who became, became true man to be our saviour. And uh, we are now going to look into this uh, passage in John 1, and many things will be a uh, repetition of what you heard already, but it's always good to have a, a text, a continuous uh, text, uh, to hang uh, like, to, uh, like uh, to, to, uh, uh, pegs on which you then can hang the, the basic truths about Christ, his person, and his work. And you can take John 1, 1 to 18, and here you have it all. What we need to know about Christ who he is. True God, true man, sinless, who died for us, for our sins, for our salvation. So the first truth John gives us is that the Redeemer, he is the Eternal One. The Eternal One. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. And the first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word with God, proclaims three great truths about the Word. First, it was in the beginning. Secondly, it was God. Thirdly, it was with God. 
and that this is Christ, John tells us very clearly in verse 14. So there's no doubt about who the Word is. It is Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ. He who was among us. He is the Word. The Word was. And we have to note that. John does not say the the Word became, but it was. And here he uses that term, the word was. And he uses in Greek the so-called imperfect, en. And en signifies duration. Usually I don't call that tense, when I speak about Greek, I don't call that tense imperfect, but rather I call it durative. It is the durative. The durative tense the word was. All created things, they became. That's what he says in verse 3. There you have egeneto, became. In verse 1 you have en, he was. And only a one person who can say that he was, always was, never became, and that is only God. All things All beings became. Only God was without beginning. He was in the beginning. It was in in the beginning. It did not have a beginning, but it was in the beginning. Yeah, even he is the beginning. And he says that of himself in another writing of John where the Lord Jesus appears to John, and there the Lord himself says that he is the beginning. You would know where that is. This is in uh, the, um, the letter to the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Revelation 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. He is the beginning himself. The beginning of all creation. And since he was in the beginning, John continues, in the beginning was the Word. He was, always was, and the Word was God. That follows from the first statement. If he was in the beginning, he is God. The Word was God. And then a third truth. The word was with God. Many have uh, said, and uh, liberal theologians say, that the whole idea of Trinity, that was an invention of of, uh, Augustine, Aurelius Augustinus, 4th, 5th century. No, it's in the Bible. 
We saw it already in the Old Testament. We saw it in Psalm 110, verse 1. God is in himself a plurality. And here we have it again. God is with God. The Word is God, and the Word was with God. So you can then make the sentence, the statement, God was with God. God the Son with God the Father. God with God. And uh, this chapter will then also speak about God the Holy Spirit. So we have these three great truths about God, about the Son of God. He is eternal. He is the Word. He is God. He is a person with God. And this is how John begins his his, um, gospel. He does not begin his gospel like Matthew does. Matthew begins uh, his gospel showing that uh, Christ is the son of Abraham, the son of David, the one to whom God had given particular uh, promises. To Abraham, blessing for all nations. Christ is that one by whom that blessing comes. David, that uh, God will establish an eternal kingdom with an eternal king. Christ is that king. So this is how Matthew begins. So he begins with... um, Christ, what he was in this world, but John begins with Christ, who he was and who he is from eternity. Now, the question may arise, but John, have you not set out to write a gospel? And the gospel, the good news, is about salvation, isn't it? So John, he wants to make it very clear that The one who is the saviour of the world, he is also the creator of all things. He was in the beginning. All things came about and came into being through him. And what does he by this demonstrate? That as creation is solely the work of God, thus salvation is completely, solely the work of the same God. Uh, creation, and we can call that the first creation, and salvation, which is the second creation. There's a new creation. And all is through that one person, of God, through God, for God. Creation and salvation, all. From him and through him. And I'm not going to enter into the verses... uh, 3 or 4 to 13, but we continue with verse 14. He who is eternal God, through whom all things were made, that word became flesh. And now note the, 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 the contrast. The word was, never became, the word was, but the word became flesh. That is, he took upon himself humanity. He became man in a particular day. In time, he became, he became man. He did not change by that. He remained God. 
the unchanging God, the immutable God, but he took into himself humanity by becoming man. And there's a second contrast. Here, here he is not called God. The word was uh, uh, God, but here the word became flesh. God and man, one person. He became flesh in space and time on a particular day in history. Galatians 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, verse 4. Here Paul writes, Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. He became man on a particular day in history. But we have to note that and to hold fast that truth, by becoming man, by becoming flesh, he did not cease to be the eternal word. It was not that he exchanged his deity for humanity, that he ceased to be God and now had become man. Neither was it, as some errorists have taught, that he, as the eternal word, just entered into a human body and dwelt in that human body for 30 years, and then the body was killed, and then his spirit returned to heaven. That's error. The word became flesh and remained man since. Since he has become man, he is man. So now we have as a savior the true God-man, who now is as a glorified man at the right hand of God. Whom did uh, Stephen see as uh, they dragged him out of the city to stone him. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. Acts 7, 55 and 56. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Luke, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, did not write he saw Christ at the right hand of God, which would have been proper, or the Lord at the right hand of God, but Jesus, the man Jesus. And then Stephen himself says, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Son of Man, a glorified man in heaven. He became man, God became man, and the God-man, Christ, as, eternal, uh, as uh, the eternal Son of God, 
since becoming man, he has remained man and now is as a glorified man in heaven. And thus he is our forerunner. Our forerunner. The first born among many brethren. He is the first glorified man in heaven. And many, many, many will follow glorified in heaven. The forerunner, we have that in, in um, Hebrews chapter 6. It says that Christ is a forerunner. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. Forerunner for us. For us. A forerunner. It's many, many years since I last uh, have seen a, a ski race, a downhill race, you know, downhill race. Swiss are very good at that. And then before the race started, there were always two or three forerunners. But that was good news. You know why? The forerunners, you know, now soon the, the real thing starts. And if there are forerunners, then the real ones come. And if Christ is our forerunner, he's the first one, and others will follow. Others will follow. He became man in order to bring sinful man through his glorious work of redemption to glory. The firstborn among many brethren. Then John says, as to this man who became flesh, we beheld his glory. What was that glory like? What was that glory like? He says it was the glory as of the only begotten from the Father. So he had the glory of his Father himself, the glory of God. The glory of God. Now the glory of God we can... Uh, in um, circumscribing it, say the glory of God is the fullness or the totality of all God's perfections. The totality of all his perfections. That is God's glory. And if one who becomes flesh is full of all the divine perfections, then that person must be God. So the man Jesus is God. God. God incarnate. And then he continues and says, full of grace and truth, and we must give all weight, the whole weight of that term, full, which it deserves, full. Pleres. And from pleres, full, there is derived a noun, pleroma. And that is a noun which is very important, which Paul uses in Colossians, where Paul is also fighting an error, namely in the, the error that Christ was not truly man, and that if he was man, then he cannot have been God. That was the error that had started seeping in in the church of Colossae, Gnostic errors. And then Paul, he writes, 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him dwelleth... Uh, now here it says dwells, but I have it still in the air from my reading of the King James Bible. In him dwelleth the fullness of deity bodily, in bodily form, in his body. In that man who became flesh dwells the fullness of God. And how can a mere man or a created being contain the fullness of God? Impossible. So he, that, the man Jesus, is God. The fullness of God is in him. And John says as much. He was full of God's grace and glory. Full. Full. Full of grace and truth. Now, grace and truth, if you take grace and truth together, these are all the moral qualities of God. Grace stands for love, mercy, patience, goodness. And truth stands for holiness, righteousness. God is light. God is love. And that is complex, is his complete moral character. God is light, 1 John 1 5. God is love, 1 John 4 16. And Christ was full of light and love. The light himself. The light. 100% human and yet God. God man and he became flesh now as I said yesterday the day before yesterday the word flesh it doesn't sound so well flesh uh, there was a, a, a German uh, reformed theologians most German theologians are Lutherans but he was reformed and as a young man when he uh, once read uh, John chapter 1, and came to the verse 14, suddenly he was struck by the fact, this must have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, because no man would have used the word flesh, because that's, it is rather derogatory. But he uses the word flesh to make it very clear that he truly became man. Now, flesh does not always stand for, for sinful man, mostly it does, but not always. It stands for the frailty of man, yes. Like uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. Isaiah 40, verse 6. The voice says, Call out. Then he answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers. So the frailty, but that's of course human frailty is because of sin. Therefore he is frail and dies away. But flesh also stands for, human, for humanity before it was sinful. We have that in Genesis chapter 2. At the end of the chapter, verse 24, Genesis 2, 24. 
For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And that was man in statu innocentiae, in a state of innocence, when he was not yet a sinner. Flesh. And Christ became truly man, but sinless man. Truly man, but sinless man. And now, if all this had been true, that he who is God became man and sinless man and dwelt among us and that we beheld his glory, and if John had stopped at that, then we would have been more informed, would have more knowledge of God, but we would still be lost. And therefore, John, a little bit later, but still in this first chapter, in the first chapter of his gospel, gives us the necessary complement to all these truths. Chapter 1, verse 29. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became true man in order to become the lamb. And of course, the, this term lamb reminded every Jew who heard John the Baptist saying that he thought immediately, ah, the lamb, the Passover lamb. And every Jew knew the Passover lamb had to be without spot and blemish. So that again is a statement of his sinlessness. He became man. Yesterday we saw that already by being God and coming as man into this world, he has revealed God fully revealed him fully but that would not have been sufficient just to reveal God he then had to become the sacrificial lamb to be our savior, the lamb of God. Now, the lamb of God, we find this only in the Gospel of John, and it is really interesting how John is also the only uh, gospel writer who, like upon a, 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 a string with pearls, the, chronolo the chronology of the life of Jesus runs along the Passover feasts. The three times he goes to the Passover feast to Jerusalem. And John is the only one who makes uh, this, uh, uh, these statements to, sh to show us where we are uh, in his lifespan. His first, his second, his third visit to the Passover feast. And the Passover feast is just the day where the lamb is killed. And what would the man Jesus 
have felt in his mind, in his soul, every time he went, and then he thought of those, he saw those lambs, and he knew, then I will become that lamb. Uh, let's uh, now look up that instance, I hinted to it, but let's read it in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Verses 1 to 6. Exodus 12, verses 1 to 6. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month... They are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male of a year old. Unblemished. Unblemished. Peter, he speaks about the lamb as well. Peter in the first in his first epistle. First Peter one, verses eighteen and nineteen. First Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And like John, he goes back to eternity. John begins with eternity. The eternal divine decree for his son to become man, to be the sacrificial lamb. 1 Peter 1.20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Foreknown. And that is as much as before ordained. Before ordained. Before the foundation of the world ordained to be the Lamb of God. Then it says in Exodus 12, in verse 6, Exodus 12, verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So they went and sought it out from the flock on the 10th day and they kept it to the 14th day. So every day they went and fed the lamb and every day they could look, is there really no blemish on it, this lamb? No foot, something wrong on the foot or scabies or something in the skin? They were every day looking. Jesus came into the world and from the beginning was announced, behold the lamb of God. And all Israel, Israelites must have to, oh, oh, the lamb of God, the, 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 the lamb of God, the lamb of God. So they were thinking of themselves. We were always seeking out a lamb from our flock. The lamb of God is that the lamb which God
God has chosen. The Lamb of God. And then they had more than three years' time to watch him very closely. Is there any spot or blemish in or on him? And they found nothing. They found nothing. So by his life in public, under the eyes of a gazing, even of a, 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 a gazing of enemies, they were seeking to find something. They found nothing. Spotless, pure, holy. To be our sacrificial lamb. What a savior. What a savior. What a savior. And he is ours. Our savior. The lamb of God. Christ, he calls himself in the gospel source of the good shepherd. Who comes and he calls his own sheep by name. And we know what that means. If you belong to him, you know what it means. Once you heard him, probably not audibly, I once at the very beginning, and that was marked the start of God's working in my life. Well, I tell you what it was. I was in really very far away from God. I was in far away India, and I wanted to stay and to remain there. And then one night, really one night, as I slept, I heard a voice. A voice telling me in my native tongue, Benikohem. And I knew I, I, must, I must return home. And this I did. And very shortly after, a person came to me and gave me a New Testament. And I started reading. And soon enough, in reading the New Testament, I heard the voice of Jesus. That is, I knew, now he calls me. So we know what it is. He came to call his own sheep. But now the interesting thing is, he became himself a sheep. A lamb. He became one of us. So the good shepherd, who calls us and guides us and leads us and takes us to heaven, he became one of us first to die for us. To die for us. He is the shepherd and the lamb. The first one entering into the glory of heaven and all the flock will follow. Not one will be missing. Not one. Now he who became man throughout his gospel, John, he, it's in such a, a inimitable way how he shows also at the same time that man Jesus, true man, at the same time he is God. It is always here together. Uh, you have him in, in, um, here in chapter 1, the Lamb of God, 129, the Lamb of God, man, who is going to die, really man. And then the same John then relates what God had said to him in John chapter 1, verses 32 to 34. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, 
and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in or with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, the man Jesus, he is, to be, he is he who is the Lamb of God, who is going to die as, as a human, as a true man. He has the power to send the Holy Spirit. Only God can send God, the Holy Spirit. So he's true man, going to be crucified in all weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, no, 13. And he is the one who sends the Spirit and who baptizes with the Spirit. So he's God. And then you have in, in, in 1st John, uh, in 2nd uh, um, uh, chapter of John, 2nd chapter of the, the Gospel of John, you have him uh, uh, cleansing the temple and his challenge then by uh, uh, the Jews why he does such a thing. And then he speaks about him, about them destroying his temple, his body. Verse 19, destroy this temple, this temple. And truly, men took him and killed him because he was truly man. But at the same time, he is God. Because then he continues and says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So he rose from the dead in his own authority. Well, we know the Father raised him from the dead, but he also, in his own divine authority, rose himself from the dead. So we always have with John those two truths interwoven. True man, true God. And you have that again in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I'll just give you a few examples. Of course, you can't um, stay as long as we would wish, maybe, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 10. <clears throat> verse 18. Verses 17 and 18. John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Here he says, it, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. And if we would have time to go through the chapters 18 and 19 in the Gospel of John, we would always see that. Men took him, bound him, and led him away, but he is always in control of all things happening till the very end. It is him laying down his life. Not them uh, taking his life. Though they take his life, but it is him giving his, giving his life. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. <laughs> He's truly God. No man can raise himself from, from, uh, from uh, the dead, but he can. He's God. And we have so many instances of this, in the Gospel of John, um, chapter 3, verse 13. It's another example. John chapter 3, verse 13. Here, Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. <coughs> Nicodemus. 
and says, John 3:13, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, and here there's a full stop in the New American Standard Bible, the majority text, or the Byzantine text, has here, ho on en to urano. That would then mean, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And her own, that is participle, present participle, who is now being in heaven, while sitting here and speaking with you, I am in heaven, man and God. Omnipresent, present here with you in body, the omnipresent God, now in heaven. And then we have John chapter 4, as a further example. John chapter 4, verse 6. John chapter 4, verse 6. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, a true man, thirsty, weary, sitting down to rest. Wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And then comes a Samaritan woman, and just a few words suffice, and she realizes, he is not only a man. He knows me all. That's in, in, that's in, in the same chapter, verses 16 and 17, He said to her, go, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And this is again his grace. He asks, he's, he tells her, go, and, go, go and, and, and call your husband. Why does he say that? Does he want to put her to shame? No. He wants to take her into his light to teach her who he is and to save her. He knows all of her, everything. And he who sits there on the wall, he asks her, give me to drink. And then... uh, This is then the occasion where he then continues and says in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. What is that water? That is the Holy Spirit. John 7, the Holy Spirit. So he who asks for water to drink, A thirsty man is the one who sends and gives the Spirit. He's God. He's God. Yes, it is. He who sends the Spirit. Now I have said that yesterday already. I have now to read one of the two verses in in the Lord's upper room speeches, the upper room ministry, as you call it in English, don't you? 
his farewell addresses to the disciples. And in John 16, verse 7, John 16, verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I send the Holy Spirit. And without a contradiction, the sending one is greater than the sent one. So the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, makes himself subject to God the Son. As the Son made himself subject, God the Son made himself subject to God the Father. As God the Father sent him into this world. That didn't make him less God. But only God can send God. So he has, as true eternal God, the divine prerogative to send and to give the Holy Spirit. Just one last example, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We have here an indication of the time, but it, it is not uh, precise enough that you can say exactly when in the year it was. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews. It doesn't say which one. It's not Passover, it's another one. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he is then there at the sheep gate, at the, call, at the pool Bethesda. And there's a man who has been afflicted with a disease for 38 years. Now we continue reading from verse 5 on. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years, and all those sick and diseased were waiting there for an angel to come down to heaven, and it, it was a hopeless waiting. Hopeless. And here we have a man, 38 years, waiting, waiting, till he has lost hope and faith altogether. When Jesus saw him, who sees? He sees. <laughs> it's always him seeing. Always him seeing. Not us seeing him, he's seeing us. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? And now one would expect, of course, yes, yes, here I come, I take you. I take you, I want to believe in you, I want to have eternal life and eternal salvation. But he said, no, that's no help. And this is man in his natural state. Jesus sees us and he offers us salvation and we are not interested. Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, so I have no man to put me to the pool. Nobody helps me in this world. This is how people have always been with me. You know that kind of reasoning and speaking and thinking? And now we see he who is man and God, he's truly full of grace. He just speaks the word. He just speaks the word. He doesn't even wait for him to say, please heal me, help me. He just speaks the word. Stand up on your feet. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stir, stir, is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well. And this is the fulfillment of Psalm 107, verse 20. 
Well, it's a fulfillment also of other scriptures, but let's turn to Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them. Christ is that word. God sent his word. And now here the word is here and heals that man. Stand on your feet. And the man stands on his, on his feet. So here he is the creative word of God which has that power. And the Jews, they condemned him for allegedly breaking the Sabbath. And he answers, my father is working and I myself am working. And none but God can say that as God works, thus I do work. And all his works I do also. So he says um, in chapter 5, verse 19, whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same manner. And that would be preposterous if a mere man said it. But he is God. The man Jesus, God. True God, eternal God. And as such able to save sinners. His death suffices because, because he's true man and true God. Let's give thanks to him. <clears throat> We confess thou art a great Lord and Saviour, gracious, full of grace and truth, and we thank thee and worship thee for coming to us as we were without hope, all in darkness, flat on the ground, no help, no helper, no hope. And you came to us, and you called us, and you raised us up on our feet. You gave us faith, you gave us light, and you gave us life, your own divine life, eternal life. We thank you, we worship you, we praise you, our precious, gracious and glorious Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.